G'day, welcome. Let's get our Bibles out. We love to look into the Word and just welcome to everyone today. Um, the Word of God is and must be our common ground, mustn't it? Um, thanks for the uh, testimonies, they were the best intro to these thoughts and that hymn by the way too. We're going to start with the conversation in the patrol car between the two policemen. You know, it's like out of a movie. Probably donuts and coffee and stuff like that. Um, So think about that conversation. What were the two parts of that conversation? As we're thinking about that, why do you think with all of his knowledge and his experience and his training, the Apostle Paul only wanted to speak of Christ and him crucified? Why do you think that might be? Because Jesus does something that no one else does. No politician can do it. Allah doesn't do it. Muhammad can't. The Pope says he can, but he actually can't. Buddha isn't capable of doing this thing. The material won't take us to this place. Jesus does something else. Jesus saves. That's what Jesus does. And that's the conversation in the patrol car. One person had this theoretical religious idea or maybe part of their family or their heritage or something someone else told them and another knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus saves. Let's go to Acts chapter 4 and kick off. Let's find out if the Bible says this same thing. Acts chapter 4. We're excited to tell you these things today. If you're new here amongst us or if you've been here for many, many years, the excitement of the Word of God being real and relevant today and in our personal lives, that's what really ticks the church over. That's what really is the power of God evident today. In Acts chapter 4 here, there's been a healing and um, as happened sometimes in the early church, Uh, When something really good happened, people couldn't handle it, particularly the religion of the time. So they'd call up the disciples and either beat them or whatever they wanted to do. But this time, they ask Peter, um, verse 7, we'll start there. When they had set them in the midst of them, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? How did this healing come about that everyone's seen? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers and people, elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it made known unto you all, we want you to know, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Prophecy in that. But verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Very straight statement. We don't back away from that and neither does God. 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I actually like this verse, and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant. These guys are not geniuses. And yet they boldly speak of an experience with this Jesus Christ and with God. They marvelled. They were so surprised. surprised, And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. There was a relationship here and there was a miracle here from this. Now, um, you know, you just listen to music every now and then and I heard a song the other day and this, this idea, Jesus saves. Okay, Jesus saves. You, you've probably seen it on a bumper sticker before, you know, or on the back of someone's window, I have. Sometimes these statements actually lose the potency and power of the truth of them. And uh, I, a female singer said, uh, Jesus saves, I spend. Now you think, okay, she doesn't quite get it. Okay, but the ladies in the audience kind of get it, don't you? You know, Jesus saves, I spend. There was a male singer and he said, I refuse to be saved. Now, the question for all of us is, do we want to be saved? And I know the story... You know, Lot's wife, she was turned to a pillar of salt. Remember in the Old Testament? And it's quoted again in the New Testament. Aside from all the issues there, really what the issue was, she didn't want to be saved. They were being taken out, they were being saved, but she didn't want to be. Now God gives us this choice. But when I put myself in people's shoes today, who don't yet know God, and they're people that we speak to, I think, well... I kind of get what they're talking about. Why do I want to be saved? What's on the other side of being saved? What does that really mean? What is salvation? Now, why would I want to? Why would I need to? And for many people it's a term that doesn't make sense. I think for most of us in the world, we might think salvation is... Just getting out of a bad situation, you know, Mrs. Fitzgerald or Fitzsimmons or no, not, not Fitzsimmons, no, um, Fitzgerald, or whatever, to Mrs. Bell, right? That's salvation for a six and a half year old. Maybe when we're older, it's a big tax debt. Oh no! And then somehow it gets cancelled. Maybe that's what people think salvation is. I'm saved from having to pay that to the tax office. And yet, at the end of that salvation. We're still left in this life with all of the trimmings of humanity, aren't we? So it's not really salvation. The issue with us and people who don't yet know God as a human in the human mind is that we can't process, our comprehension doesn't go beyond what we know, does it? And that's, that's okay, that's alright. But you and I, who are born again, who are followers and disciples of Jesus Christ need to be able to express to people why would they want to be saved? How would they be saved? What's on the other side of that? Where do you go? Just further to that, uh, I went to Adelaide a couple of weeks ago and um, it was a good, uh, good, great weekend, you know, a few hundred young people in our fellowship, just a really great great time of ministry and fellowship and 
On the way down there, I went to the airport. I was just travelling alone, so um, you know I could just walk anywhere in the airport, and you know I didn't have to go to lolly shops or anything, toilets a hundred times or anything. And um, I went into this store because I was early for my flight, which doesn't happen when I'm with the kids either, usually. And I went to this store and I'm just kind of looking at sunglasses or something random and I could hear the storekeeper talking to the people, some people in the store. And um, anyway, they walked out and she makes this comment to me and uh, it was sort of a startling sort of comment and you think, that's very random. And uh, anyway, from that point on, we started just talking. And... I wouldn't have picked it, but she said to me, I used to be a Mormon. As a result of her initial statement, I mentioned that I was a Christian, among other things. And she said to me, oh, I used to be a Mormon, you know. And she said, I haven't prayed in years and I've, I'm, I've come out of that. I'm so glad I'm out of that system. And I said, oh, why haven't you prayed in years? And she said to me, because I think that group confused me as to who I would be praying to. And I just thought, she doesn't realise what a profound statement that truly is. Religion and man's ideas, they mask the Saviour. Jesus saves. Anyway, we went on to talk and she said she was studying Buddhism and she was talking about the virtues of, of meditation. She meditates each day. And I said to her, well, you know, I think Western civilization would do everyone a lot of good to meditate every day. To stop. Stop buying things. Stop racing around and just actually contemplate where they're at. Anyway, we kept talking and um, after a little while I said to her, look, I really want to share something with you that God's done in my life. And I told her about the Holy Spirit. I told her about the Spirit of God that had come inside me and had changed my life. I told her about a language that God gave me that comes from the Spirit within that expresses to God the things that I can't even put into words. Both of us had goosebumps at that time, she told me, and uh, she said, that sounds a lot better than meditation. I said, it is. It is. You know, the amazing thing is, for 25 minutes in the Sydney airport, no one came into that store. It was fantastic to talk about the power of God. And Jesus, when he was on the earth, you know, he actually said, you know, if you're perfect, I'm not here to save you. I didn't come to save the righteous, I came to save the sinner. And then he spent the rest of the time convicting every single person of their sin. He was saying, this is for you. I am here for you. See, with salvation with Jesus Christ, it's not about getting out of a tax debt. It's a completely new life. It's a completely new future. It affects the present. It removes the past. It heals And with Jesus Christ, it's not just what you're saved from. Often we'll talk to people about those things, but it's what you're saved to. What's on the other side of this salvation? It's a current experience, a current purpose, as well as a future fulfilment. And the Word of God wants to make these things really clear so that people can navigate, so that people can decide, yes, I do want to be saved. So I want to just bring up a a couple of slides if we can because it's a really good question. You know, okay, what am I saved from 
and what would I be saved to? Is that a fair question? I just pulled out a few. These are all based on scriptures. So the bottom is what you're saved from and the top is what you're saved to. So I am saved from death. Romans tells me that there was a law that governed me, the law of sin and death. I'm saved from the working of sin within me from death and I'm saved to life eternal through Jesus Christ's working within me by his spirit. Amen? Okay, next slide. I'm saved from darkness and its power to light and God, his power. He's very simple, aren't they? Easy to digest. All right, next one. I'm saved from a cruel master. Satan has had a plan for me. He still does, but he's not getting it to come to fruition. Saved from a cruel master to a loving father, to God's plan for me and God's inheritance for me. Next one. I'm saved from a corrupt world ruled by men, well, man, sorry, there's women involved too, to a king, the kingdom of God, where Jesus Christ is king. Next one. I'm saved from who I would have become, going with my will, to who God intends me to be, his will, beyond what I can do. Next one. I'm saved from a life of shame and hiding, knowing that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't change it. And everyone around me is the same, no power against it. And I'm saved to be able to look Jesus Christ in the face. I can't wait to that time. And we can have boldness with God now. Next one. I'm changed and saved from fear and doubt, which has confusion and torment, to faith, hope and love. These are the basics of my relationship with God now. Next one. I'm saved from flesh, born of the flesh, to spirit, born of the spirit. Transformation happens there. Next one. I'm saved from a life of self-reliance and self-focus, which ultimately leads me to the end that I can't do it myself. I can't actually help myself. To a life of purpose and giving, and I'm able to help other people. I become part of the body of Christ with purpose, with a role with satisfaction that comes from serving God. Next one. I'm saved from the limitations of my mortality of the flesh to the potential and the promises of God's spirit within me. Next one. I'm saved from all that afflicts me and you to all that benefits you and me. These are very simple things, aren't they? But they are actually true. They are completely true. Healing, change, real change, growth, overcoming the title of the Christian. Next one. I'm saved from the fruit of the flesh. And many of us will talk about that when we get up and we testify and say, this is who I used to be. And then there was this point of change in my life and this is how who I've become. My addictions are gone. God is healing me. He's changing me. From the fruit of the flesh to the fruit of God's spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faith, meekness, gentleness, goodness, temperance. All these things come by the Spirit of God. Next one. So I'm going to leave that slide up there so it gets etched into your minds. All right? 
There's no other name on that screen, is there? See, I hope I spelled it all right. Yep, I did. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, it gets etched into your minds, alright? So, let's just look briefly. Jesus was clearly identified as Saviour. The, the conversation in the police car. There were hundreds of prophecies about his coming. I'm just going to read you a couple of scriptures just about his arrival. Um, We're not going to turn there, but in Matthew 1, the angel speaking to Joseph, She shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus saves. Luke 2, 11, to the shepherds, around this same time, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour. Not a good bloke. You know, a saviour, which is Christ the Lord. We're going to look at this term Christ in a minute. And in John 3, everyone knows these words. Everyone who has the bumper sticker on their car knows these verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Jesus saves. Jesus clearly identified, and these are only just a few verses for the sake of time on a warm day. There are so many others we could go to. Jesus saves. Jesus is the saviour. He's identified as such. Christ. Let's think about this for a minute. Jesus Christ. For a lot of people out there who think, why would I want to be saved? What's on the other side of that? They probably think that Christ is Jesus' surname. Do you think that's a fair comment? I do. Peter Moore. You know, Paul Wright. Catherine, what's your name? Hall. You know, Jesus Christ. They probably think, if I'm looking him up in the phone book, I go to see. Right? And I think that's fair. I mean, you know. And when Peter had this massive revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, for a lot of people, they probably thought that Peter and Jesus were playing celebrity head or something, you know? Where, who are you, who are you? And Jesus says, yes, you've guessed my surname. But it's so much more than that. The title Christ means anointed. And when you look in John 1, we won't go there for time as well. John the Baptist, Jesus Christ arrives on the scene as an adult, as a man come from being a child who was told right from the start he is going to save. And John says, bears witness upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him the same is he which baptises with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. This truly is Jesus the Christ. Jesus was anointed. Let's go to Matthew 11. Anointed to save. The one who the anointing comes upon, he will save you because he can baptise you in the Holy Ghost. Matthew 11. Let's see what happened when this happened. Let's see what came about. John, this is an account when John's actually in prison. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, 
When we read the term Christ, let's think the anointed. The anointed. When John had heard in the prison the works of the anointed, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, and they said unto him, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Is there anyone else? And Jesus answered and said, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus said when salvation comes, John, you're going to know. You're going to go and testify to John about the things that have happened because salvation is come. Jesus saves. And when Jesus was on the earth, he saved, like in Acts chapter 4, the man was healed and they went on to say, no, salvation comes through this man because Jesus' power demonstrated to heal is the same power that is demonstrated to save. So there's going to be things that are going to be evident. Now let's think, if this was Jesus' identification, he saves, he's the saviour, he's the prophesied one. If he is also then anointed, the spirit descends upon him and remains on him and John sees it. He says, this is, this is who has been prophesied of. If this was his main purpose, do you think his word would leave us in any doubt as to how to do it, how to go about it, how to be saved ourselves? How to be baptised in the Holy Ghost. Remember I said before, the salvation with Jesus Christ is all about a present experience, a current purpose and a future fulfilment as well. A present experience, let's start here. We're not going to turn there in John 3 and in Mark 16, but in John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you are born of water, baptised, and born of the Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost. You cannot see or enter the Kingdom of God. The great news today is, if you are born of water and you are born of Spirit, you enter the Kingdom of God. Simple equation. You can, today. In Mark 16, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, He that is, believes and is baptised shall be saved and your present experience will be one of a signs-following power of God in your life. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They shall speak with new tongues. You know, there's a whole range of things that are listed there in Mark 16. Signs following. Visible signs, just like when Jesus sent the disciples back to John and said, go and tell him this stuff. Jesus never said, yep, I'm the guy. He said, just go tell him the signs. The signs following. Let's go to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2 is a, a chapter that is particularly dear to us in our fellowship. Because it's when this Holy Spirit is first poured out. Jesus has been crucified, he has paid the price for that law that was governing you and I in our lives and our future. The law of sin and death, the blood sacrifice was paid by the only one, Jesus, the Saviour, who could pay that price. 
It's been paid and he's risen again. And he said to them in Acts chapter 1, you've got to wait here for the promise. Remember, Jesus Christ was going to be the one who would baptise with the Holy Ghost. This is the one Jesus saves. He says, wait here to his disciples in Acts chapter 2. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise. I've been talking to you about this promise. It's all coming together. This is it. And then in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, baptised in the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It happened. Now let's go to verse 16. They were questioned about this. This is ridiculous. What does this sound like? It sounds like they're tanked. It sounds like they're mad. We've never heard this before and yet we know that somehow this is not normal. Once again, what did I say earlier? Our comprehension doesn't go beyond what we know. Verse 16. Peter says to them, but that this is which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, said God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants, on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. He goes on to say, it's a remarkable speech, well worth a read. Now, this present experience is still available today. It is still the baptism of the Holy Ghost that you need to have. And baptism in water, just like Jesus said. Now, is this your present experience? That's what we ask people. You know? Is this your present experience? However you might word that. Probably don't word it that way. But if it's not your present experience today, it is your present promise. How do you turn a promise into an experience with God you just ask let's read here um, in verse 37 of the same chapter after Peter's speech the people were really moved in their heart their conscience was cut and they said what do we do and Jesus says oh sorry not Jesus Peter but it says now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Turn around from that old life. Be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, the present promise, is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The thing is, these are the sorts of things that we need to tell people who have no concept of what Jesus saves means. How does it work in practice? For you and I, who are born again, Jesus still saves. He's still doing the saving. We don't suddenly do the saving. We bring Jesus to people or people to Jesus. You know what I mean? When you're out there in the workplace, bring Jesus Christ into your workplace. Just live as a born again Christian, led of the Holy Ghost. You know, we're saved, but we're also being saved. I want to explain what I mean by that. Jesus saves me every day. He saves me from what my flesh wants to do. 
As he says in Galatians 5, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He saves people around me from what my flesh might want to do at times. You know, he is still my daily saviour. And this ongoing work of the Holy Ghost in me is just as essential as being born again itself. His Spirit leads me with power. It leads me to forgive. It leads me to healing. It leads me to love, to service, to joy, to all these things, to temperance, to selflessness, because it is the working of Jesus Christ within me. I said before, a present experience and a future fulfilment. We're not going to turn there, but in Ephesians 1, it talks about after you believe the gospel of your salvation, and we're talking about Jesus saves, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This deposit until Jesus Christ returns for the full fulfilment, to take us with him. Let's go to Titus 3. We're on the home straight. So stay with me. Titus 3 and verse 4. Earlier in, um, in chapter 2, some great verses about the purpose of the grace of God. Bringing us to salvation. And teaching us how to live this life. Just like with John, when Jesus sent the disciples back to John, when salvation comes, it changes your life. Verse 4 of chapter 3, But after the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness which we have done. None of us can earn this. There are so many verses we could look at on that. If that is something that you're tripping over, trying to earn your salvation with God, then let's look into the Word of God about that. There are verses here that will annihilate that very thinking. And it will be the best thing you've ever lost in your whole life, this idea of being saved by works. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to His mercy... He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Jesus saves. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, this is the future fulfilment. The down payment's been made in the Holy Ghost. It is very important that we have this present experience because that present experience of being born again tells us exactly where we stand with God and what our future is. It is assured by Jesus Christ. This ongoing work in us of the Holy Ghost helps us to walk in that way to the return of Jesus Christ. The power to choose right, the power to be led in the right way, This eternal inheritance, the fulfilment of the work of Jesus Christ from flesh to spirit with us, is just amazing. You know, what this tells us really is that whether we live or die, we will be raised to life with Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, we're anointed and we're identified 
This very experience is the same thing that gives us our identification and our anointing. Let's go to 1 John, second to last scripture. 1 John, chapter 3. Just one verse here in chapter 3, verse 24. And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us. Remember this Holy Spirit that came and remained upon Jesus Christ? Here we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. Verse 13 of the next chapter. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify bear witness that the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, when you get this Holy Spirit, when you are baptised in the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. You will tell people that Jesus saves and you'll know exactly how he does it because it will be your present experience that points you and gives you this future fulfilment. So Jesus does something here. Why do we talk about the Holy Spirit? Why do we talk about being born again? Why do we say the words of Jesus Christ? Why do we talk about how Jesus saves? Everything we've talked about, from the conception of Jesus Christ, you know, in Mary, you know, to being born, that was a work of the Holy Ghost. You know, all the things we've looked at, God sending Jesus Christ... God so loved the world. A work of God, the Spirit of God. Anointed the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the visible thing coming unto Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is the thing that we receive. You see, everything we've talked about is actually because Jesus Christ, unlike anyone else, He gives His Spirit to every single one of His people. Every single one. He gives his own spirit to them. The spirit of God within you and abides with you. That's what's different about Jesus. That's how Jesus saves, by the spirit of God. That's how he does it. What makes this the church? The spirit of God. Last scripture, Luke chapter 4. There's something in Luke chapter 4, a couple of um, verses here, because we need to tell people this. I was thinking the other day, how long is it since you witnessed to yourself? When you share the gospel with someone else, you speak it to yourself. When you fellowship and you share the gospel with your brothers and sisters in this fellowship, you speak it to yourself. You witness to yourself. You're a witness against what this might try and tell you. Luke chapter 4. We've been talking about the importance of the Spirit. Verse 18. This is when Jesus, just as he starts his ministry, stands up in the temple and he reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Spirit of the Lord, because he has anointed me. Remember the anointing. 
to preach the gospel to the poor. He's sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised in this life, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Spirit is what anointed Jesus Christ to perform his ministry. The exact same thing is the same for us. The Holy Spirit anoints us to minister and continue this ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's just skip down to verse 25. Because in this same thread, Jesus Christ mentions something from the Old Testament. And the, the Jews at the time get very offended at this. And I want to just think about this in closing. Verse 25, But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto that place, Sarepta, Zarephath, a city of Sidon, unto a woman there that was a widow. So God sent his prophet, not to someone in Israel, but somewhere else, a Gentile. Verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. Now, he wasn't of Israel. If we think about these two characters, they were at either end of the spectrum of society. Naaman was famous. He was a captain of the host. He was handy with a sword. He was a highly strategic character in battle, I'm sure. An intelligent man. Probably had good muscles too. And then you've got this widow woman who's right at the other end of the spectrum of natural society. Both of them needed exactly the same thing. They needed salvation. A type here. Leprosy and starvation. You know, when we look at the story of Naaman, Naaman's real sickness was pride. That's what it was. And the prophet targeted that. The thing that was in the way of him coming to salvation, a type of salvation. You see, pride is a bit like leprosy. It distances you from people. It isolates you. You know? It eats you up. It's what it does. And the prophet just nailed it with Naaman. With the widow. It seemed that she was starving. Yes, that was true. But the real issue for her was hopelessness and despair. When Jesus says he came and John, he spoke to John, he said, you see the lepers cleanse, the blind see. When he, re- he reads out of Isaiah and he says, the captives are set free, those that are bruised are healed. You know, the gospel is preached to the poor, to the widows. Do you think he was just talking about the here and now? No, the thing is, if we can see like Jesus and by the Spirit of God anointing us, we can see like Jesus Christ because in our society we don't see many lepers, do we? You know, and we don't really see many people who are starving in our society here. In the world at large, yes we do. But in our society if we can see pride like leprosy, that isolates, that eats you up. If we can see poverty in terms of hopelessness and despair as starvation, then can we see the need 
for Jesus to save around us? Can we speak to people who may be well above our station in society, like Naaman? Yes, we can. Because what we are speaking of is the antidote to pride. You know, Naaman probably thought, I need to have this hard exterior. I've got to keep the men in line. I've got to keep my top position. You know, the Word of God goes in. The Holy Ghost speaking from heart to heart will soften the heart of the person who will respond to Christ and will say, Jesus saves, and they will say, yes, I want to be saved. The same thing in Luke 4. For us, may our testimony be that most of us are not that clever, but these people have been with Jesus, and the relationship and the fruit is evident. Amen? Amen. And that's Pastor Al.